Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Brandy Lynn Myers was a 13-year-old from Phoenix, Arizona. She was shy and liked to wear big glasses. On May 26, 1992, Brandy went out by herself into her neighborhood to collect money for a school fundraiser. She didn't come home that day. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. You know your neighbors. You think you know your friends, your coworkers, your family. The familiarity that we think we have with people makes us believe we know them. We convince ourselves we know what goes on behind closed doors. We think we know what kinds of relationships they have. Because we get along with these people so well, we never suspect them of anything. Then, Joseph James D'Angelo happens. You know him better as the original Night Stalker or Golden State Killer, a man who lived in a quiet neighborhood for years until he was caught. Nobody could have suspected he was one of the United States' most notorious criminals. How about Dennis Rader, or BTK for those in the true crime community? Married, father, prominent in his church, Cub Scout leader. And all the while, he had brutally murdered multiple women and almost got away with it. Gary Ridgway, same thing. Did the people who knew him really ever suspect he killed all those women? Nope. They thought they knew him. Well, today you're going to hear about the disappearance of Brandy Myers, a well-known case that was completely cold until recently. Then a man was brought into custody for other murders that occurred in the Phoenix area. A man who many now believe caused Brandy to go missing a man who lived on the very street where Brandy was last seen. And for the rest of us, we have to start to wonder if there are other guys like him right under our noses. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Good's website, charlieproject.org. Brandy Myers was a geek. Well, that's what her sister called her. And it was just the two of them, Brandy being two years older. She was a girly girl, but shy. She liked school, but had to attend special education classes due to a learning disability. Yet to meet her, you'd never know. Brandy and the other children played in their neighborhood. None of them were approached by any suspicious adults, and there were never any disappearances or murders in the area up until 1992. So on May 26th of that year, Brandy's sister was supposed to go with her to collect money for a school fundraising project. Yet the sister decided to stay behind because a boy was coming over. 
Thus, Brandy went by herself. The route she would take she had traveled many times before, whether walking to school or for other school projects. When Brandy didn't come home later that day, her parents and neighbors canvassed the area. Then the police were called in. Homeowners along the path Brandy would have taken were questioned. Nothing unusual was discovered. She was never seen again. The case lay dormant until 2015, when Brian Miller was charged with the murder of two girls in Phoenix. He is on trial right now as I record this. Brian lived along the same route Brandy would have taken that day, and now has become the prime suspect in her case. Yet questions remain. Number one, how much of the investigation was thrown off course when a girl thrust herself into the story, only to reveal years later that she made much of it up? Number two, why didn't police investigate Brian Miller Moore in 1992, since they determined Brandy was last seen at a residence just 100 feet from his house? And number three, why did Brian's future wife not come forward later in the 1990s when he told her of his murder of a mentally challenged girl in 1992? Brandy's family has no doubt Brian Miller killed her. They eagerly await the day when he is charged with her murder, all in the hopes he will reveal where Brandy is. The guest for this episode is Brandy's sister, Kristen Thalen. Unfound News I am now ready to reveal the interview I conducted with a person of interest in a murder case. The interview will be released sometime in the next few weeks. The reason for the delay is I'm going to try to contact some of the people mentioned during the discussion, to give those people an opportunity to respond. Who is the person of interest? Steve Pankey. The case? The disappearance and now murder of Janelle Matthews. Next, as I stated before the interview last week, I am still trying to adapt to the new software updates from Google, which make recording phone calls on Android phones much tougher than it has been. In fact, the belief is that eventually no one will be able to use new Android phones to record calls. I'm doing my best to get the interview's unfound needs, and I appreciate you being patient with this process. Speaking of which, and finally, I need to thank my assistants Emily, Cherie, Carrie, and Heather, who helped me over the last few days experiment with some different audio setups, listening in their cars, using headphones, and directly off their cell phones, just to make sure this new adventure in recording phone calls is successful. Thank you. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound supports accounts on Podomatic, iTunes, Stitcher, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, and Facebook. On Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, please join us on YouTube for the Unfound live show. Contribute to Unfound at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. This week, I need to thank Marcy. You can also contribute at PayPal, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. That is also the email address. Merchandise, the books at amazon.com in both ebook and print form. Do not forget the reviews. Shirts at unfound-podcast.myshopify.com. Cards at makeplaincards.com forward slash sell forward slash unfoundpodcast. And please mention Unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. 
I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the sister of Brandy Myers, Kristen Thalen. Kristen, welcome to Unfound. Thank you for having me. Let's start here as we always do on Unfound. We want to talk about Brandy, uh, who she is, what she was into, your relationship uh, with her. And so let's start here. What was the Myers family like? What was it like being Brandy's uh, sister? Did you have other sisters or brothers? What can you tell the listeners about that? Um, I didn't have any other brothers or sisters. It was Brandy and I and my mother and my stepdad. Um, Brandy was the older sister, so I was two years younger than her. Okay. All right. And how did you to get along? Was that an advantage of you two being, you know, fairly close in age to be able to relate to each other? How did you two get along? Like best friends, definitely. Were you? We, yeah, we were. And Brandy was, um, I don't know, she was in special ed, so we were a little different. Like, I was a cool kid and she was a nerd, but, you know, we still played like sisters and, you know, obviously Mm -hmm. she was my closest companion. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's talk about uh, her, be, you know, her um, uh, her educational level. Of course, there's a lot of um, information out there about uh, her regarding that. What can you tell the listeners uh, concerning that? Um, Brandy was in special ed. She was a slow learner. Um, she had a rough birth, um, you know, so she was just a little behind, and it just took her longer to learn things. I think she would have been just fine in life. Probably have some cats, you know. Um, huh. I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it wasn't like she was super mentally challenged, and she required a lot of assistance. It wasn't. It wasn't like that. Okay. Do you think, being that she was 13 when she disappeared, do you think this is something that a person uh, meeting her for the first time would recognize, or would it not be obvious until maybe if? Somebody was in school with her or something. Or how, how would you portray that? Um, I don't know. Brandy had really big glasses, and she was super shy and naive, you know. But I don't think if you just met her that you would know anything. Mm-hmm. Like, it was pretty much just a learning disability that she needed a, a different type of teaching or extra help while she was at school to learn things. Okay, fine. So what was uh, she into? What was her, what were her interests and hobbies and, you know, things like that? And did you share those kind of interests with her? Um, I don't know. She was girly. I mean, and, and to touch more on the other thing, I mean, I would assume she had something wrong with her with her big glasses. But I just labeled her a nerd, you know what I mean? And I don't know what other people necessarily thought when they looked at her. You know, she was just my, my mm-hmm. sister who was a nerd. <laughs> okay. okay. So, um, but she was a girly girl, and she liked to play with Barbies and cabbage patches and dress up and do those types of things. Okay. And uh, you and her, were you fairly well behaved? What was the Myers house like? Was it well run? Uh, You said your mother and your stepfather, uh, well run, old machine, or... uh, you know, very discipline-oriented. How would you portray it? Not really. I mean, they were work a lot, and we were pretty much on our own back then. We did have a babysitter, but kids played outside, and you were really watching yourself. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
you know, I don't know. I was the troublemaker, and she was good, but I could talk her into certain things. Huh. She, she was mostly the good one, and I was, I was the troublemaker. Okay. All right, so you two were close in age, and you were uh, 11, I guess, when she disappeared? Yeah, I was 11, and she was 13. Okay. All right. Let's talk about a little bit about where you lived uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. What kind of neighborhood was it? Uh, middle class, uh, whatever. Were there a lot of kids in this neighborhood? You know, how would you describe it? Um, it was a suburb of Phoenix called Sunny Slope. And from what I know about it now, which obviously I didn't then until I was just a kid, is it's just sort of the ghetto. And, mm. um, yeah, there was plenty of kids, and we all played with the kids outside and the neighborhood. Mm. So... You know, okay. and I don't know, I guess, you know, you weren't really worried about things like this back then, you know, so mm. we thought we were all fine. Mm-hmm. So it was a neighborhood where, would you say kids were out after dark playing in the street or? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, and you said that your your parents worked a lot, um, so did did you and, uh, you know, Brandy go down streets blocks away with, you know, with no supervision? Well, how would you portray your, your your travels in the area. Yeah, well, we were approved, our approved stomping grounds were between our apartments and our school. So the school is four blocks away from our apartment, and we we pretty much just played about three blocks away. It was like down the block and then right up the street. We would play about three blocks away with some other friends that lived up the street, and we didn't really too much go any further than that. Okay. Ever have any issues, any strange, you know, strangers coming by, trying to get you into their car, anything like that in your time living in the neighborhood, maybe even after Brandy disappeared, anything like that? I mean, not that I remember, you know, it didn't, none of that stuff seemed to stick out to me then, and afterward it was just crazy, so, mm-hmm. you know, nothing like that happened, I definitely remember. Okay. Okay, and being that the school was only that far away, I guess you walked to school every day? Yep, we walked to school every day, and it didn't, it wasn't too far, so we were allowed to do that, and then we'd walk home. Okay. Now, I'm sure, my perception is that Brandy's disappearance is is fairly well known. Of course, it's unfortunately 27 years, roughly, at, at this time, but my perception is that uh, there have been a lot. There's been decent coverage of this over the years. Like I said, I know you've done some interviews. I know your, uh, you know, uh, the, the Facebook page, for example, is very high profile. Um, but you know, and I think people know that Brandy was selling, going door to door the day that she disappeared. Was was that something common uh, that you and she did, or other kids did, going house to house for fundraisers or whatever? Was that a common thing in this neighborhood? Uh, absolutely. We we did them regularly for this school, and for what reason, I don't remember. We didn't have the slit um, with the names of the people who had, yeah. had pledged, and that didn't really matter because it was in between our house and the school, and we were just going to cold knock on doors, you know. Mm-hmm. It was something the school would do pretty regularly, and there wasn't ever... You know, any leaflet that said, you know, go with buddies or make sure somebody knows where you're going or, you know, it wasn't. Nothing they like They would just send kids door to door back then. Okay. 
and your mother and your stepfather didn't see any problem with this. I'm not I'm not blaming I'm I'm not blaming them or anything, but that was just accepted. That in yeah, it wasn't just your parents, but everybody's parents. Yeah, we were we were all doing it as kids. Okay. All right, so this is something and once again to your knowledge, once again knowing that you're two years younger, Brandy never talked about doing it when she was going door to door ever having any problems. Uh, with anyone. No, because I would always go with her. Okay. Like, this one day is the one day I didn't go with her. And so, hmm. anytime we would ever do the fundraising, like, we'd go together and we'd goof off and have fun. And, you know, maybe it'd be a candy fundraiser. And then by the time we get the candy, we'd, like, eat a bunch of it. <laughs> and then okay. maybe, like, you'd get some of it. But, uh, you know, that was, like, our thing. So, we'd always go together. And just this one day, I didn't go with her. Okay. And the way you remember uh, this situation, do you believe that in the past, once again, in, in, I don't know, months before Brandy disappeared, had she gone door to door in the area where she disappeared uh, this time? Yeah, her and I, a few weeks before she went missing, we went knocking door to door on our route to school um, for, for pledges for this bookathon. She wasn't selling candy or something. She mm-hmm. was reading books for a bookathon. So you would pledge X amount of pay, um, money for X amount of pages she read, and then after she had read them, then we would collect the money, and the prize at the end was like a trip to the zoo. Wow. So she really wanted to get to the zoo, and, you know, so that's why we were doing that, and we had gone a few weeks and got them all, and then when it came time to collect the money, I was supposed to go with her. Mm-hmm. And there was a boy I liked that came over, so I blew her off and told her she was a nerd and I couldn't <clears> be seen with her. And those were the last words I ever said to her, and she just okay. walked away. And um, I definitely remember when she was turning the corner and I was watching her, like I just got a lump in my throat and like that sinking feeling in your stomach when something bad is going to happen, but I was only 11 and I'd never had that feeling before and I didn't understand mm. what it meant and I didn't stop her or go with her and I just watched her walk away. Okay. Alright, so she had been in this area, this neighborhood before for other functions or other money raising where she disappeared on May 26th. Yes. Okay. So let's move up to this day, May 26th, 1992. That gives the listeners an idea of what was going on in the, the Myers house how you and Brandy got along, kind of the day-to-day um, uh, patterns and uh, schedule that you had for school and playing it out in the streets, things like that. But first we need to talk about something. There's a friend that is mentioned the day uh, as being connected to this disappearance. She says that she was with Brandy, but you and I have talked about this and your um, belief is something different that is, you know, in many different places, different websites or whatever. Maybe you can explain that to the listeners. Okay. Um, this girl, her name is Maria Links, And um, I've spoken to her now that we're adults. So at the time, she said she was with Brandy and that they had gone to Smitty's. And their intention was to spend the money, the bookathon money, on candy and toys. And then she said that once she, once they got to Smitty's, she needed to use the restroom, but Brandy didn't want to go inside, so she waited outside while she went to the bathroom. 
and when she came out, Brandy was gone. And I'm like, nothing about this story makes any sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Brandy wouldn't have gone to spend this money on, from the bookathon on candy and toys uh, because she really wanted to go to the zoo. And if she could have been talked into that, it would have been from me. It wouldn't have been from somebody else. So I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, that just doesn't make sense. And then it would also put her in the wrong direction. So because of this girl saying this, the police start looking by Smitty's. Mm-hmm. And then they realize there's like a pedophile in this area, so they start focusing on him. And like they're wasting all this time and all these resources, mm-hmm. and it, it was just a dead, dead lead. Like he w- didn't have anything to do with it. And, um, and so we like fast forward to now, and I've spoken to the girl, Mm-hmm. And, and like, in my own research, I found, like, all of Brandy's friends that she had in school and just discovered, like, more about her when she wasn't with me and who her friends actually were. And then we find out that this girl was actually one of the girls that picked on Brandy at school. And so there's no real reason why she would be with her. And then I find out even more while talking to her that she actually lived in our apartment complex. So this even makes it more or less plausible. And then, like, she's telling me, like, she doesn't even... She first told me, she's telling me that she doesn't remember even this happening. Like, she hardly remembers it even happening. Which is, you know, doesn't make any sense because they had her entire complex taped off and there was police cars and police dogs and helicopters. And you're just going to remember. Like, I can remember every time I've ever interacted with a police officer in my entire life. How do you not remember all this happening and everybody being questioned and you being the last person to see somebody? Like, how do you, you just forgot about that? And she was older than me, so, you know, at 13, 14 years old, you're gonna remember something like this. Mm -hmm. Like, anybody else that I've spoken to since, everybody's been affected by this and we all remember. So, She's like, yeah, I never, and then she took it further and said that she had never even said the statement. She has no idea why the police or the news or myself were reaching out to her. And I'm like, because you definitely made this statement. And I'm trying to tell her, listen, I can understand that you were a child and you were seeking attention from the situation. And that's a real thing that happens in these types of situations. Sure. Sometimes people just want to attach themselves somehow and... They do. So, you know, mm-hmm. I said, I can forgive that. That's the innocence of a child seeking um, attention from a situation. So how, so how did she end up, did, did the police find her at the time? Did she go to the police when these searches? Of course, we're going to get into what, you know, we believe happened that day. But, you know, how did her name even pop up? In any of this, came they came to um, question everybody in my complex. So she lived in our complex, Mm -hmm. and she just said that she um, was with Brandy. So they started following that lead, Mm -hmm. and you know, talking to her now, like it's just something she made up. And I believe a hundred percent that she feels bad for having lied about that. So she. Mm-hmm. wants to distance herself from the whole thing and just say that she never made the statement, she doesn't even remember this happening, and that's her way of, like, not dealing with it and okay. distancing herself. That's my way.
Okay, and and then I guess being that you said she was uh, older than you, but she wasn't old, I, you said she was like 13 or 14 at the time, this yeah. girl? Okay. Yeah. And then, and I then to understand that her parents allowed her to get away with this lie? Um, I mean, I, I suppose they wouldn't have known. I mean, how, you know, how would they have known? Like, I've, I, you know, we've only put this together now. It's still out in the media. Why it hasn't? How come it can't be removed? That right. Even the Phoenix Police Department have discredited that as as a quality lead. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it it bothers me that it's still listed. She's still listed as last seen at Smitty, mm-hmm. and that Maria Link's name is even involved because clearly she was just lying. All right. So when you say that her parents couldn't have known, what you're saying is her parents weren't home at the time. And so she told them that she was with Brandy. They had no reason to doubt her either because they weren't at home. Right. They're I mean, just they're, they're just taking their daughter. Her, you know, she lives with one parent, two parents. They're just taking their daughter's word that she was with Brandy, and they really right. and they have no real reason to doubt her because they weren't home. Right. Okay. So. Okay. And when was this eventually uh, revealed that this girl? Was lying. I, I guess I'm guessing it wasn't back in 1992. This must have happened sometime later. It wasn't. It's yeah. It's more current. Like Brandy's case wasn't ever closed, but it was kind of mm. dead for a while. But <sighs> I had Stuart Summershoe and Melissa. I don't remember her last name. They were on the case from the beginning, and they rode with it through till the end. Mm. It's almost over. Mm-hmm. Um, and Melissa's moved on to a different department, but Stuart Summershoe is still still with us and um you know they just didn't they didn't let it go and they spoke to i mean they canvassed my whole neighborhood so you know now Mm -hmm. with the new things it all came back up okay so how long was your family under the impression that brandy was with this girl you know when did that did it go until the 2000s 2010 how long did this continue under this false belief I, like, pretty much until recently, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we really knew nothing. Like, Brandy just vanished without a trace, and we knew nothing. Mm-hmm. So there was even no reason for us to think that this girl wasn't telling the truth. Right. Okay, so when you say recently, does that mean within, like, the last five years? Yes. Okay. All right. All right, and I, I'm sure maybe that will come up uh, a little bit later in the conversation. Um, so let's just go, what was, let's go through this again. What was Brandy's plan for that day? Um, we were going to go on our same route that we would take to school and we would knock on all the doors on each side of the street until, you know, we had gotten some collections and we figured we were done and we'd come back home. Okay. And how long did you think this was going to take? You know, who knows? Maybe okay. an hour, maybe 30 huh. minutes. It's okay. Just, you know, and what, we didn't have a time frame we were working with. Okay, and what time did she leave the house? You know, I don't even I don't even remember. It was like early afternoon. <clears throat> um, okay. Maybe, maybe late in the afternoon. But it, it was afternoon time, and we were going to go together, and then I stayed, and she just went on. But it was still daylight. Okay. And you were supposed to go, but like you said... A boy came over, you wanted to talk to him, so she went out by herself. 
Yeah, it was your impression. Of course, we know that this other girl that lied. But she, so Brandy's by herself. She's going to go and uh, do whatever she's going to do. And when did somebody um, notice that she hadn't come back? Um, we noticed, you know, around six or seven, as it started to get dark, like, where was she at? And my babysitter wasn't, like, very attentive, and we were just out playing, you know, and I don't know. So it, it was a few hours that she was gone, and then nobody, like, the police weren't called or anything until my, my parents got home, and we told my mom, like, Brandy hadn't came home. Hmm. Okay. And so what did everybody do at that point? Once again, I realized that you were 11 at the time. You're not in charge of all of this. But what your understanding of what your parents did, maybe other people did, the police did that evening to try to track down Brandy. Um, well, I remember telling my mom Brandy didn't come home. And I remember my mom saying, like, what, what do you mean she didn't come home? And we're like, she just she didn't come home. And so we started looking around the neighborhood. And we couldn't find her, so we called the police. Hmm. And, you know, shortly after that, we're filing the missing persons report, and all there's tons of police, you know, presence, and there's cars and dogs, and they've taped off my entire apartment complex, and they have helicopters, and there's news crews, and it's hmm. a whole fiasco. Okay. That night, um, did, you know, going to, I'm guessing that uh, maybe you, since you were going to go with her, uh, you maybe had an idea of the, the route she might take. Did all of you go, like, door-to-door knocking? Hey, have you seen Brandy? Have you seen Brandy? Once again, the way you remember it. Um, well, before the police were involved, yeah, we went to the houses that we would be to see if Randy was there because mm. clearly she would be done with this collecting by this point and she yeah. must have been playing somewhere was our hope and mm-hmm. you know she wasn't at anybody's house so at that point we stopped looking and then called the police and then they okay. canvassed the neighborhood so did anybody actually go through this route of where Brandy would have been going and maybe you can explain that route if you have a map there uh, going door to door and saying, hey, did Brandy stop at your house? Did Brandy stop at your house? Did Brandy stop at your house? Did anybody do that? And maybe you can explain if anybody did see her. Yes, okay, so I have my map here, and I, I can't pull up the exact street that we were on. But So I watched her walk and turn the corner onto Carroll Street. And about halfway up the block is a friend um, named Katrina Hyatt. And her brother, Dustin, is the boy that came over to my house. That The reason I didn't go with Brandy. Okay. So Brandy stopped at her house and asked her if she could go with her. And she said she had to go get her ears pierced that day, so she couldn't go with her. And then she watched her continue to walk in the direction of our school. And then beyond that, we have um, eyewitnesses that placed Brandy um, two doors down from Brian Miller's house. She had knocked at their door. Mm-hmm. And then they watched her walk toward his house, and the next house over was not home. The house after that is Brian Miller's house. Okay. All right. And, and once again, I realize that um, many people are familiar with Brandy's case. And, of course, Brian Miller has been prominent uh, for the last few years and has been connected to Brandy's disappearance. And we're surely going to talk about him uh, very prominently here in a moment. But um, so what you're saying is that people did see her, 
She was on the street. She was walking by herself. But you could say that the trail ran cold right around Brian Miller's house. Yes. Okay. All right. And so that is oh, interesting. In addition to that, she mm. never made it to the house after his. Right. That's what I mean. So she was going in that direction. It was like she was at this house. She was at this house. And then maybe four houses down, the next house she would have been going to, the person says, nope, she never ended up here. Right. Okay, thank you. Okay. So I realized that nobody in your family would have any sort of, uh, I guess, governmental power to really interrogate these people or anything. But the police go down the street interviewing people, maybe you know, leaning a little harder on them. What would you say the police did in those first few days, especially since uh, these people did see her? Well, I believe they were just questioning people about whether or not they had seen her. You know, I don't know to what degree they were applying pressure, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I know that they were spoken to. I know Brian was spoken to. Mm -hmm. Um and and they had records of all of that then, and then they spoke to these people again now. Mm -hmm. And every everybody I've spoken about so far is willing to testify that this is okay. this is what has happened. Okay. Um, now, and I want to come back to that in a moment. Now there was a search done, and I guess coincidentally, during the search. A body was found. Can you explain how that happened? Okay, there were search parties that, you know, ended up being <clears throat> put together looking for Brandy. She hadn't came home. So, um, couple days in, they're searching, they're searching the neighborhoods and they find a body. And, you know, for a moment, all of our hearts sunk and we thought it was Brandy. Mm -hmm. And they were, it was a similar build and it was big glasses and, but based on the time frame and the decom, it wasn't her. So, okay. and nobody knew who she was and, you know, that didn't come out for years. Right. But we knew it wasn't Brandy. Okay. How far was this approximately? Maybe you want to give it in, in walking distance, you know, time or something like that. Your choice. How far was this body found from the last place that Brandy was seen? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I, it wouldn't be too hard for me to find out, but I, I don't know. It's like I'm I'm privileged to the things regarding Brandy. Right. And while there's a lot of other elements involved in it, those aren't things that I'm privileged to. Uh, okay. I understand that. Okay. So we're just not sure. Maybe some other people do know that information all it's clear is that somebody was looking in an area where brandy might have been and this other girl young woman was found instead and she and was I, not i don't know that they were necessarily looking where she might have been mm -hmm. they were just searching in surrounding areas to see if maybe okay. they found her okay well i guess what i i guess what i'm please please you know what? This, this is what i think i think the area that they found her is behind our school there's a big open mm -hmm. field area that um, used to, you know, it's mountainous, mm -hmm. whatever, behind behind Mountain View School. Okay. You know, because it's very close to, like, Sunny Slope, or it is Sunny Slope, but I mean the mountain, 
and all that. Right. So I believe that that's where they found her, and that's very close to our school, so it's pretty close to where she went missing. Okay. So she was found, and we will mention this girl's name later, but she was found, but very early on, your family decided that this was not Brandy. Just what? There may be a few characteristics, but surely not her. No, it wasn't us that decided oh. that. It was the police department. Who, oh, okay. You know, when they found her, we were informed that a body was found. And then it wasn't too long after that because they were just looking for Brandy. And this girl had been dead for a while. So mm-hmm. um, they were like, it's, it's not her. Okay. So... At that point, once again, I, uh, listeners should realize you were just 11 at the time, but I, I know this is very traumatic. It's, we talk a lot about trauma on Unfound, but did your parents, any adults, have any idea at all of what could have happened to her? No. I mean, we were all just at a loss. She had just disappeared. Mm-hmm. Like, there was, like... Up into thin air, she had just disappeared. Okay. All right, so they were probably open to anything. That it might have been somebody in one of these houses. Maybe a car came by just in, and just abducted her. It'll just, you know, there aren't too many possibilities, but of those possibilities, any of them uh, could be could have been a choice. Right. Okay. At, at that point, any anything... You know, all we knew was that she never came home. Okay. All right. And once again, we have to also remember at this time that what didn't help was this girl infusing herself into the process, which I'm thinking threw police off and made them look maybe in a different direction than they should have back at the time. I, I absolutely agree. And it was like there was some canvassing done in my neighborhood, which needed to be a higher presence, but because of this girl, they were more, you know, directed in this direction. So it was like, let's canvas and make sure she was on this route, but then, you know, we're going to follow it through this direction because this girl said they went that way. Okay. The way you remember, you've talked about helicopters and searches and everything, and and of course, even to this day, uh, doing what I do, I do realize that when young people little girls, little boys, maybe not teenage, older teenagers, but around Brandy's age, 13, 12, 11, 10, those disappearances do get a lot of attention, media attention and everything. And it sounds like that happened in Brandy's case, but at some point I, all of that stuff started to die down. Do you remember how long that was? You know, how long before they started, you know, the media and the police uh, started to you know, move on to other things as they do. You know, I mean, it wasn't really all that long, you know, as far as I remember, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. like my parents wanted to really keep keep it active in the news or keep it, it's not like they didn't care, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. none of, they weren't capable. Right. You know, and it's not like they had the mindset that I understand what we got to do is get out there and be and campaign. Right. You know, they and you know what I mean. And there is no handbook. What do you do when your no. child goes missing? Right. You know, they they didn't know what to do. And I know, I know. You know, now more so that I'm an adult and I can understand. It's just my mother could not deal with it. It was just not something she could deal with. So, you know, like 
she didn't really want to have these interviews and it would just break her and then it would be like horrible after you know and then so after a while when they quit coming around it wasn't like they were going to go find them okay alright so at some point this happens in May of 1992 and at some point you know people move on to other things and your family is left with trying to keep this alive on your own of course there's no internet at the time there's no cell phones at the time, no so- social media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in the early 90s. Of course, I think the Internet, you know, came along maybe, you know, for a lot of people maybe three or four years later. The rest of the 90s, of course, you were 11 at the time. You become a teenager. Um, any leads, any suspects, any names, anything during the course of the 90s into the 2000s, anything? There was never anything. <laughs> there was never anything. It was... She just disappeared without a trace. There were no leads. There were no. Mm. There was nothing. It was what we had in the beginning, and then it went cold. Okay, and the police weren't keeping your family informed. Do you do you know if you know your mother or somebody was calling them to check up on anything? Um, you do even know. You know my, <clears throat> my parents weren't checking up on it because yeah. they couldn't deal with it. You know. Okay. And the police weren't really. Involved with my parents because again my parents didn't really want to deal with it and like my my mother would get upset and then you know mentally wouldn't be okay and then that would upset my stepdad and he didn't want to deal with any of it so it was easier to shelter her from all of that and we just wouldn't deal with any of it and we mm. pretend like everything was okay and it never happened and we just moved on with life. Okay. All right. So no leads, no suspects. Uh, I'm guessing for you as an 11-year-old, it was a little scary knowing that your older sister just disappeared. Did you find yourself behaving a, a different way, you know, when you were out in the street? And, you know, how did things change for you? I don't know that I behaved differently like I was scared of the world, but I was definitely different. Okay. Right. Did you happen to notice a change maybe in your neighborhood? You talked about all these kids playing outside and everything. Did that change? Yeah, definitely. It was, you know, kids weren't allowed to be out after dark, and everybody had to, you know, be with a buddy system. And for a while, kids were really on lock and key. And, you know, and then slowly over time, it just sort of lapsed up and, okay, you know, everyone went about their business. Okay. During the 90s, I'm not saying that you as an 11-year-old would have known this. And, of course, once again, with no Internet until later in the 90s, this would may have been hard to even determine. But were there any other similar disappearances or murders in your area of Phoenix around the time that Brandy disappeared? Yeah, there was um, – <clears throat> well, they found Shannon Olmack. And then Brandy went missing, and then they found um, Angela Brasso and Melanie Bernes, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know that they were making a connection to it all, but I think they were looking at it all as possibly being connected. All right, and once again, you said Shannon. She is the, the girl that was found when they were searching for Brandy. This is, okay, so her name is Shannon, then we have Melanie and Angela, who their bodies were found, they were murdered, 
And if if you know, were these uh, girls were they found close to where Brandy disappeared or not? Yeah, um, they they were found in the Arizona Canal that is near all of this. I mean, okay. I can't see it necessarily in this map, but mm. it's it's in this area. Okay. And did you were you aware of this uh, once again as an eleven year old? When did you first hear about these other girls that were found? Of course, they were found. Brandy was not. Did when did you? find out that that was the case i'm going to guess you didn't know that when was your when you were 11 how long did it take you know you getting older before you found out about these cases that might be related well it wasn't until 2015 like of course i heard about them and knew about it when it happened because i live in the area but Mm -hmm. um i didn't know any connection until 2015 when I finally get the call that we know what's happened to Brandy. And I fly in from, uh, I think I lived, gosh, where did I live at the time? I was in, uh, I don't remember, but I came and I I met with the police and they told me everything. And they told me about Angela Brasso and Melanie Bernays and Mm -hmm. tied all that in and told me about the ex-wife and just explained every single thing to me, and mm. now I know everything. Okay. okay. And I know that you are not an expert on Melanie or Angela's uh, murders. I'm not, I would never expect you to be that, but, of course, you've known about them for a few years. What are the general circumstances of both of their murders, as you understand it? Um, each of them were out for a bike ride, um, and then they were they were bike riding – the Arizona Canal, how people um, bike ride and jog along the canal. Mm-hmm. So that's what they were doing, and then they disappeared, and then they were found later in the mm-hmm. canal, uh, cut up, and, mm-hmm. you know, things were done to them. Okay. So a DNA evidence was found on both of their bodies. So in 92, they collected that DNA, and they connected them so they knew it was the same person. Mm-hmm. But back then, DNA wasn't just in databases everywhere like it is now. Right. So they didn't know whose DNA it was. Right. Okay. Very good point. Thank you for saying that's a very good point. They were collecting DNA uh, because I think that at that point they were suspecting that maybe somewhere down the road the science would be available to match up people with their DNA and crimes. Uh, Luckily, they did that. Okay. So these girls, they were out biking, um, maybe they were attacked, maybe they were lured somewhere, they were murdered, and they were found, and just like Shannon uh, was. So let's talk about them. Um, you've mentioned him already a couple times. Once again, I'm sure people who are familiar with this case have heard his name before, but we're going to talk about Brian Patrick Miller. Do you remember where you were when you first heard his name? Um, yes. Yes, I do. I, and, and now, now I totally remember. So I, I was living here in Phoenix. Um, I was pregnant with my four-year-old now. And um, I just finally get this call. And, and we, we know what happened to Brandy. We know who did it. And hmm. do I want to meet to find out and, and, and hear about this? And I'm like, Ab- absolutely. Like I've waited all, all my life to find out what happened to Brandy. Sure. 
you better believe I want to know, and I want to know everything. Mm-hmm. So, okay. yeah, I, I totally remember that. All right, so how did his name even pop up? Well, um, so basically, we fast forward into 2015, okay. and the police, the police are attending in a, a conference where they're, and they learn that you can test DNA differently. So they learn about the family ancestral DNA bases. So they, they, they're jokingly to each other, like, hey, we should send out the uh, canal killer DNA and see, see if this woman can't crack it. So they send it to the same woman who solved the um, Golden State Killer. Mm-hmm. They send it to her, and she comes up with the surname Miller. So they start going through, you know, paperwork and things from 2002, and they come up with Brian's name. So... You know, they see the Miller, and so they some, they serve some sort. They do some sort of ruse to get his DNA, mm-hmm. and then once they get his DNA, they they positively match it to Angela Brasso and Melanie Burnett. So then they serve a search warrant and they arrest him. Wow! And then at some point after that is when the police contacted you to tell you what they've done. You know how this all happened. Well, okay. Right, so then after this happens, and he's arrested, and it's in the news, and everything like this, his now ex-wife comes forward and speaks to the police and says, Hey, when we were married, he used to tell me all these stories about killing these women. Mm -hmm. And I didn't necessarily believe him, and he was really into, like, extreme bondage and S&M type things and cosplay and she just thought it was one of his little fantasy world things that he was trying to scare her with. So, you know, that's what she told them as to why she never came forward with this information. And mm-hmm. she said she was also just afraid of him, so she just, you know, never came forward. And we should be clear, though. She, we should be clear. She was not married to him at the time Brandy disappeared in 1992. She was not. Okay, no. so these are things, it, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I, I know some people are maybe going to choose to believe her, some of the people aren't, but what she's saying is this is what she, he told her after he had already done these things. Right. He, he told her this years later. Yes, okay. and I mean, it's just great detail, and, you know, like a lot, I don't know, I just, I believe every word that that woman said. Okay. If it wasn't for her coming forward, I would still know nothing, you know, like, and I don't, I don't know how much they were connecting Brandy onto this whole thing, you know, and then she Mm -hmm. came forward and, and solidified this with this confession, but every single thing that she said makes sense, and, you know, like, her entire confession that, that she relayed is that he told her that a girl with special needs came to the door. And, you know, honestly, if you just looked at Brandy, you'd assume she had special needs, you know what I mean? And then, like, if you talked to her, maybe you wouldn't know. But just looking at her, she was a nerd with big glasses, and you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's the thing that it sealed it for me. And so a girl with special needs knocks at the door and she's doing some sort of fundraising. And he saw this as a good opportunity to act. And the more you know about Brian Miller, this makes perfect sense for him. 
that so he then just pulled her in the house and started stabbing her. Mm-hmm. And so the police have told me all of this, and so she was alive for all of that. And then he slit her throat, and that's what killed her. But he wasn't done with her. He wanted to keep doing sick things to her. So he put her in the bathtub, and he intended to fill it with cold water, and that would slow her bleeding and her decomp. But he was so excited from having taken her life that he used the hot water instead, and it started to speed up her bleeding and her decomp, and the neighbors started to smell it and started complaining that, what is the smell? So he's like, I need to get rid of this body. So he cuts her up, and he puts her in black trash bags and stores her in his trash can in the house until the next day when the trash runs. And when he put the trash can on the curb, his neighbors again were like, dude, your trash can smells like death. And he told them that there's rotten meat inside. So nobody's looking in a trash can after this. And all of this has been confirmed through detective work that, that, that these people had said that and the neighbors had made these complaints about the smell. So, and that didn't, so, and that didn't trigger anything in any police officer at the time that that was strange. Being that they canvassed the area, they went door to door, they've even admitted they talked to Brian Miller back in 1992, and this didn't raise the, red flags to any police officer who found out about this bad smell and everything else? I don't know when they found that information out. It seems like that's new information. Did they try? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Because based on her, her um, what she told the police, then they would then follow those leads up and speak mm-hmm. to these people. <clears throat> you know, and I'm sure that took a moment to track these people down as people move away and all of those things. But all of that's confirmed. So... There's nothing about her story that I don't believe, and it's the one thing that makes sense with Brandy being in this neighborhood and why she just vanished. And I've been to the house where they killed her in, and based mm-hmm. on where it is, it would be super easy to just pull someone into the house. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It just would. Okay. So all of this is coming from his wife, who was not was not married to him at the time. She's saying all about how Brandy was pulled inside, put in the tub. She's saying this is what Brian told her years later once they met. Yes, okay. like when they okay. were married. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, I guess going back to what I made to put it another way, we know that the police canvassed the area after she disappeared. I'm guessing that it would have been within those next few days that this stench, this stink would have been coming from his house, from the garbage, wherever else. And I guess what I'm saying is the police are going door to door and one of these neighbors never said to the police, well, you know what, we didn't see her, but man, we got the smell from this guy down the street. That never happened. Yeah, I mean, I guess not. You know what I mean? Like maybe people weren't putting two and two together. Um, But you also have to remember that uh, there was the girl that were taking the police in this other direction Mm -hmm. and that gave him time to get rid of her. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a good point. Okay, so, right, okay, so Brian, once again, we have this uh, woman's word, this is what she told him, that she wasn't there, maybe makes sense, Um, and he has, of course, been through DNA connected to these other murders, and we know that Brandy was just a couple doors away from his house when she disappeared. Would, Would his house have been one of the ones, though, that she would have gone up to? Yes, yes. All right. Okay. 
because she was collecting money. So are we then to understand that he had pledged something to her in the past? I, I don't know, you know. All I know is that we would hit these same houses on our fundraisers, you know mm. what I mean? And we were just kids, so we weren't really thinking about the people we were talking to. We were just mm. trying to get the money for the end prize, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me to say that I remembered any one person's face along this route, I, I couldn't say I did. But, you know, he was definitely on the route. Mm-hmm. And these are the approved houses we were allowed to stop at. So it, it's, it makes sense that we would stop there, that she would stop mm-hmm. there. And it's even possible in prior uh, journeys through the neighborhood, selling things, whatever it was, candy bars, this readathon or whatever, that you and Brandy might have encountered Brian before. Possibly. Absolutely. Okay. okay, thank you. All right, thank you for that. Okay. Now, this is something that came out once his name was uh, identified as being uh, the guy with the DNA connected to these other murders, that Brian Miller was discovered to have had a juvenile record for a stabbing. When did you find this out? Um, I found this out when I'm finding every other thing out. Um, so, 2015, and they're telling when he was 16, he jumped out of a bike path and started chasing a girl. And he jumped on her and started stabbing her. And he almost killed her. And then she had wrestled him for the knife. And, um, cause that's his MO, he wants to stab. Mm-hmm. Um, but so she'd wrestled him for the knife and she had got it away from him and he convinced her that if he she would give the knife back to him he would let her go so she did give him the knife back and he started stabbing her some more and some other joggers coming down the path scared him away and he ran away Mm -hmm. but he still got arrested for it and then they questioned him about like why did you stab this girl and at 16 he told them, well, I just wanted to know what it felt like. So mm. when I think about her saying that he told her it felt like a good opportunity to act, mm-hmm. it sounds like the exact same thing. Okay. It sounds like this is this guy. Okay. Did he ever, being that he was under 18 or whatever, the he was under adult age, at least for the how they define that in Arizona, did he ever spend any time in juvenile hall? What was the penalty that he received for this? Do you know? Yes, he went to um, Durango Juvenile Detention, and he stayed there until he turned 18 when they had to let him go. Hmm. He had a lot of psyche valves while he was there and things like that, and they determined like his personality was really dark, and he had bad anger issues and sexual, I don't know the right word, Mm-hmm. I don't know, I can't ever say that word. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of problems and he needed to deal with them and that was their assessment from him. But he turned 18 and they had to let him go and they also had to steal his records. So come time Brandy went missing, that stuff didn't just pop up when they came and talked to him. Okay. And is it your understanding of this house that he was living in in 1992? Did he own that or was he renting that? No, he. Um, it was owned by Mennonites. And he would, like, affiliate himself with different religious sectors or whatever and, like, convince them that he was a super great guy. And so they were putting him up at this house. And huh. 
you know, that's that's why that's where that was from. Oh, okay. Okay. So he didn't own, I guess he was renting or maybe he was staying there for free because they were doing it out of their faith or their belief system. Okay, so that's why he was in that house. And how old was he in 1992? 19. He was only 19. So this is only three years removed from him stabbing this other girl that he's in this house by himself as an adult. Yes. And people up and down the street don't realize who is living right next to them. Absolutely. Okay. All right. And, and once again, now that you know him and everything, is there anything that the police have told you since 2015 that causes you to believe that they did take more of a look at Brian Miller than they did at anybody else on that street? Or did they treat him like everybody else? Um, I think they just treated him like everybody else. They made like a quick sweep of my neighborhood, but mm -hmm. based on uh, Maria's statement, they mm -hmm. focused in this other area. Right. And I'm sure they came back and they talked to people in the neighborhood again, which is where, you know, they've, they've got the eyewitnesses and all of those things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, by this point, he's gotten rid of Brandy's body and... You know, they mm -hmm. never caught him, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm sure because his record was sealed and he's an unassuming guy that just sort of blends in, then they weren't necessarily focusing on him. I guess it just seems to me maybe 20, you know, hindsight's 2020 that, you know, they did talk to him, even if this other girl did lead them in a different direction that they did find people in this other area of the neighborhood that did see her. And then, this house saw her, this house saw her, and then you get down a little further and the person admits, well, we didn't see her. It would seem to me that the police would have paid a little closer attention if they went to Brian's house and they opened the door. There's a 19-year-old living there by himself. No matter if he's, you know, acts meek or anything else, it seems to me that a good police officer with any, you know, sort of investigative ability might say, you know what, maybe there's something more going on here than we think. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I guess I that's mean, what... I mean, I wish they had that same thought. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and from what I know now is that, the like, all the eyewitnesses and things like that, we had then. So, you mm -hmm. know, to me, why couldn't we have followed that through a little closer and forget what this girl said because we got these eyewitnesses and, yeah. and she didn't make it to this next house, you know, and I, right. I can't speak to why they did. I really can't. I I just don't know. Yeah, it's it's People weren't really thinking about these things happening. It wasn't really like it is now, you know. Mm -hmm. so. Okay. Yeah, that seems like a huge missed opportunity. And then on top of everything else, we know about, of course, these other girls that we know that were murdered in the area, and once again, you have a 19-year-old living by himself in this house, you know, it just seems to me that somebody would have connected the dots at some point, maybe not that day or a week after Brandy disappeared, but maybe within a month, you know, something might have set off. Maybe we need to look a little farther into this guy and check out, if see if he has any record or anything, and they might have found out that he had a juvenile record. Who knows? Okay. I know. I mean, I wish that they had, and that would have saved... The other girls, you know right. what I mean? Sure, you're right. 
I honestly believe Brandy was his first. Um, I don't believe they're not connecting him. They were looking at him for Shannon. Mm-hmm. They're not connecting him to her, and I don't believe that he killed her based on what happened to her. Her the mo isn't the same. Okay. So I and and I believe that like all the mistakes that like he made with Brandy because that was his first murder, <clears throat> and mm-hmm. what he learned from killing her was what made it to where Angela Brasso and Melanie Burnett were able to be found together, you know, in, maybe in pieces, but they were dumped. Him being able to have done everything he wanted to do, you know, from what he learned from having killed Brandy. Right. That's what I believe. Okay. All right. And as you've already stated, he got married later in the 90s. Do you, do you happen to know how long he continued to live in that house on that street before he moved somewhere else? Any ideas? Um, I don't, you know, I'm, and you know, a good, a good source for me is, is Jill, Jill Silicon. Um, she, she's my lady. I call her my people. And mm-hmm. I know you know who I'm talking about. We don't necessarily have to name drop her because she likes to be low key, but she's the one I would ask about any of this if, because I okay. can't find my actual, I have like a, a folder, but I've, I've just moved into this apartment and like everything is still here and there. Okay. But, you know, so I don't know exactly how long he lived there, but mm-hmm. I believe that it wasn't that long before he left because, like, the heat was getting was getting hot out there, uh, and so that's when he moved to Washington. Okay. And he lived in Everett, Washington. All right, and we know already that he got married, and then at some point, did uh, did he and his wife have any kids? You know. Yeah, they had they had one little girl. Okay. And at some point they got divorced, and uh, this wife, I guess, was afraid of him, but she didn't come forward with her story about everything that he told her until he was caught? Yes. All right, so she kept that uh, a secret for many years, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, I can't speak to why she would sit on it. I can't speak to why she would leave her child with him after somebody had told you something like that because they had the child and then when they split up, he kept her. You know, and especially a female child, like certainly I would be out the door with that first mm-hmm. thing you told me like that and I certainly wouldn't leave my, my kid with you. You know, I can't I can't speak to her and, and obviously maybe there's something mentally going on there. But then I want to think even further about that, that, you know what, living with somebody like that and, and being, dealing with that, I'm sure would mess you up. So, right. you know, if she wasn't messed up before him, I'm sure she was messed up with him and after him. Okay. Uh, do you, I, I realize you've already said that he said that some girl with a maybe a mental disability came to the door and, you know, you've said that already. Uh, but he never did mention Brandy's name. No, I don't think he name dropped any of the girls. Okay. He just told her, you know, in horrible detail what he did to them. Okay. You know, and like to say doing some sort of fundraising, of course, because he doesn't remember why she came to the door. Sure. He's going to remember all the sick things that he did to her. Yes. And for what reason he felt like he wanted to tell her about those things, I can't speak to that either. Because I can't even imagine wanting to tell my wife or husband 
anything like that. But, you know, you got to imagine that's the type of guy he was. And he was into weird cosplay and serial killer subcultures. And that was his thing. So I guess it would just be another day in paradise for her. Okay. Okay. All right. But we should be clear, despite what everything that she said and everything, there is no... Physical evidence, there's circumstantial evidence, surely, but no physical evidence, unlike the DNA with these other girls and everything. There's nothing like that regarding Brandy and her connection to Brian. Even though it makes a lot of sense, there's nothing scientific that connects. Right, but, okay. no, I mean, because he cut her up and threw her in the trash. So oh. now that we had this information, the police had gone back and they tore up that house. They focused mm-hmm. on the bathroom because that's where the worst of it happened. But in at this point, it was 23 years when we found mm-hmm. out. Now it's 27 years. So yeah. in 23 years, that house had been so extensively remodeled, it was not the same house anymore. Yeah. So it's a new bathtub, it's a new sink, it's a new toilet, it's new flooring, it's new plumbing, it's new walls. And even if any of it was the same, 23 years of taking hot showers and dumping chemicals and things down the drain, Mm -hmm. there's no way you were going to find DNA evidence. And digging up 23 years of the landfill, number one, they would never, they would never do that. And number two, even if they did, they'd never find brandy. Like I used to be a trash hauler and that was my job. And so I would see even the, the regular trash dump with the, the, you know, the trash man would come and dump a load of trash. And even when we would dump a load of trash, afterward, huge excavators come, and they rake the load this way, and then they rake the load that way, and then more stuff is dumped, and that's raked around. And what was right here is miles away over there, and there would just never be, there will never be a way to ever find her in Mm -hmm. this landfill. Okay. All right. Now, being the... This DNA and, and regarding these uh, two murdered girls, did Brian uh, plead guilty? What was the what's going on with all of that? He is pleading not guilty. Um, he has no explanation as to why his DNA evidence was all over these girls, and he is going to court right now. Court started to, yesterday. And he is facing two capital murder cases and looking at the death penalty. They also just added um, Adrian Salinas to the canal killing case. So, that, and that was 6-15-13. I know you probably got the dates on um, the other girls. Mm-hmm. So that was her, and she's just been added to the case. So, and but Brandy is... But Brandy has not been added to the case, despite your efforts and whoever else's efforts to add her in this. She has not been included. Yeah, um, my my big uphill battle is no body, no charges. Right, and right. To me, that is unacceptable to live with. I refuse to be sat down in my aunt's living room and told every single detail about how my sister was murdered and disposed of down to the color of the trash bag and then be told there's nothing we can do about it because there's no body. 
well, you've got me messed up because we're not going out that way. And I was told in the very beginning that, you know, let us exhaust our avenues and if, you know, we can't do anything more, then it's up to you. And what you have to do is go get social media and you have to get a big following and you have to get a big uproar and people backing you and behind you. And if you do this, then the Maricopa County prosecutor will play ball with you because Brandy's case has been brought to them twice. And every single person involved in this, the ex-wife, the eyewitnesses, myself, Katrina, everybody's willing to testify that this is the route Brandy went. This is exactly what happened to her. And we just want it to be done. But they want there to be a body or some form of DNA evidence. But after 27 years, we're never going to have that. And we're never going to have more than what we have right now. But I believe any reasonable jury would convict with what we have. And my whole thing has been pushing to try to get her added to this canal killing case. Because she is absolutely part of it. But... um, you know, they kept telling me, like, they just don't want to add somebody else to the case and jeopardize the case. So then with this new information about um, Arena or Adrian, I'm sorry, that mm-hmm. like that just blew my mind. Like, okay, but we can add her. But here's the difference is that they got her body back. So they have a body. And when, and when was she murdered? Um, 6-15-13 I, is either when they So just six years ago. Yeah, so... Um, and where, where did that happen? She went missing in Tempe, and she was found in AJ. So her hands and feet were missing when they found her. And they've been able to connect her. Of course, he's going to trial, but they've been able to yep. connect her to um, Brian Miller. Yes, and Brandy's case is solved, but not resolved. So mm-hmm. she's connected. They're just not giving us charges. Mm-hmm. See, and that's that's my whole thing, is you just, you, you're not going to do that. You know, you're not going to tell me all of these things and then not give us a day in court. So I've done everything I've done up until this point, and I've, you know, I've, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, and you see me online, you know, mm-hmm. right now I'm kind of yeah. taking a break to just live my life, but... For the last, well, since I found out, for the last four years, I've been hitting hard trying to bring this home because, you know, this is what I was told to do and that if I was to be able to do this, then I would get somewhere. So that's what I've done. Sure. And I've gotten it to the point that I have, um, I have the, the Phoenix Police Department's word that when this case is over, we're going to bring it back to the prosecutor. And see if he wants to play ball now. After all the stink, after all of my letters, and I have, I, I'm sure you've seen my letter online. Um, it is just mass produced. I have it posted and pinned everywhere I'm at. And collectively, hundreds and thousands of these letters are pouring in to the Maricopa County prosecutor. And by now, he has got to want to get rid of me. Huh. And that is my hope. And that is my prayer. He just is like, what do we got to do to get rid of this girl and these letters? And all I want is a day in court. And I've made it very clear that I'm not looking for this man to even get extra time. I don't need him. There is no no sentence I'm seeking because there is nothing that he could possibly be given that would ever 
you know, balance what he's taken from me. So I'm not seeking that. I'm seeking my opportunity for an impact statement. I have things to say to him that I've waited 27 years to say. And now that I know who took her life and I know exactly what happened, I just want to speak to him. You know, that's, that's my whole thing. That is my only whole thing. I want formal charges and I want to speak to him. And I know that's something you get after a trial is you get to speak to the person who's victimized you. And mm-hmm. I don't have a victim's advocate. There isn't a person that calls me and tells me trial starting or the hearing got canceled as opposed to Angela Brasso's family or Melanie Berna's family. You know, when I show up to the court hearing that got canceled and they weren't there, I realize, oh, because they called them and told them ahead of time. You know, but they didn't call me because Brandy's not technically listed as a as a victim. Right. But how can the Phoenix Police Department solve a case, conclude a murderer, and then there's no charges? So it's my understanding. It's not the police department. It's the Maricopa prosecutor that doesn't want to do a little bit of mm. work because there's no body. Now, you stated something earlier. It should be known that Shannon... Uh, Amick? Amick? Yeah, Shannon Amick. Shannon Amick. She was the uh, girl that was found when they were searching for Brandy back in 1992. She was finally identified in 2011. But I think you've already stated that she is not included in this trial either. In fact, you believe you you even believe that somebody else murdered her. I, I do. I believe somebody else murdered her, and they definitely looked at him just because it happened in this mm-hmm. time. Sure. And they were investigating that, but like she was strangled, and there isn't any like knives or stabbing, and it's it's just different. While I believe these people grow to their signature, they also have an M.O. or a thing that they're attracted to, and his yeah. thing is knives. Okay. Even when he was married, his thing was using knives and scaring his wife with knives and things like that. So that's his thing. He wants he wants to scare you and stab you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, he's we- got real problems. We talked about this uh, in a prior conversation, and I, I, I it, this is the kind of things that are that are interesting to me in a case like uh, like this. Do you think there was a reason that these other girls were found and were murdered by Brian Miller, but Brandy, if we were to believe that he murdered her, I, I, we've already talked about how you believe, or at least his wife said, that you know, he cut her up in the bathtub and, and all of that. But do you, do you have a reason why... He was able to, I guess, clean up Brandy, you know, and dispose of her without anybody ever finding her. But then these murders that he committed later, the girls were found. And, in fact, these were the bodies that eventually led right back to him, and that's why he's on trial now. Do you have any reason why he kind of changed what he was doing? I think Brandy was just a crime of opportunity, you know. Like, he didn't go seek her. She came to him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I believe that, and I've even gone so far as to, like, meeting with a friend of his and, you know, learning more about him. Like, 
it was just an opportunity that that arose, and it was a good opportunity for him to act in his own words. It was a good opportunity to act, so he did. Like, I think he made a lot of mistakes with Brandy, and I believe that's that's what leads me to believe that she was his first. Mm-hmm. He didn't, you know what I mean? Like, he knew what he wanted to do, but he'd never done it before, so he, you know, he used the hot water and. He wasn't able to do all the things that he wanted to do. So that's why he had to get rid of her in the way that he did. Now, with the other girls, he learned. So he was able to do the things he wanted to do. And it wasn't so messy and smelly. And then he was able to just cut those girls up and dump them, which is probably what he wanted to do with Brandy. But he wasn't able to because he'd already made all these mistakes and he made her, you know, start bleeding more and smelling more. So he had no choice but to cut her up and get rid of her real quick. As with the other girls, he wanted to keep them for a while and keep doing things to them. I guess what I find interesting is you refer to these things that he did as mistakes, but these mistakes were actually have led to the point of Brandy not being found 27 years later. Exactly. That, that has to be, I, I have to tell you, that has to be somewhat paradoxical to you. That, 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 well, that these mistakes that he made are the ones that keep you from finding her, and then these other murders that he committed that you believe he did more perfectly are the ones now that he's, you know, being tried on. Right, and you also got to remember, like, back then, nobody was thinking about DNA. I'm sure he had no idea that he could get caught up like this, you know? I'm sure he had no idea that he his DNA could even be gotten, you know? Like, mm-hmm. people didn't realize fingerprints and DNA was going to be a thing like it is now. So I'm sure he thought he would do his thing, and and because he was how he was, I'm sure he wanted to dump them in a way where he could watch it from the sidelines and, you know, continue to gain excitement from it, you know? Whereas mm-hmm. Brandy just was a crime of opportunity and he didn't get to do all those things. Okay. All right, so that trial is going on now. Um, are you going to it? Uh, do you, uh, it just started Absolutely going. It just started yesterday. Uh-huh. Um, I was at work, so I wasn't able to go, but I'm going to the next hearing, and I'll be at all the rest of them. I'm okay. hoping to meet the other family. I definitely think that we should band together. And anyway, I want to be there to support them and... You know, and I, I've been to his court hearings before. I've sat in the same room with him, and mm-hmm. it's not—it's not easy. And you have to sit there and keep your composure because if you have an outburst and they kick yeah. you out of the room and you can't come back in, right? So, of course. You know, I don't know. It's—it's it's mm-hmm. going to be a whirlwind, and it's really crazy to sit in a trial and you start hearing all about a person and their psych valves, and just they're going to go through it all. And I'm going to be right mm-hmm. there, and, and my, all I can think is, while I want to be upset that Brandy isn't added to this, I have the promise of adding her after. Mm-hmm. So I just have to hold on to that. So my new, my now plan is to wrap this interview with you and start making noise. I'm going to start doing some more campaigning. Mm-hmm. I've got about 3,000 signed letters. I'm going to make some appointments with the mayor and... We have a new sitting uh, prosecutor for a little bit. I'm going to try to meet with her. Um, I'm going to do a whole bunch of interviews with everybody and 
start start making some noise. You know, and that's that's what I've had to do is mm. keep this attention on there and you know, create a following which I've done, you know, it's just not easy. I'm one person. No, it's not. I I didn't know how to do any of this when I started. I didn't have Facebook. I never wanted Facebook. I, I didn't understand how anybody could be on their phone for hours just scrolling. And now I'm like, I'm on my phone for hours, but I'm networking, you know. And and when I'm done with this interview, I'm going to push it everywhere I can push it. And then I'm going to try to get other people to push it. And it's like, and then I have to respond on your on your channel and my channel and my other channel and the other channel. And, you know, mm -hmm. I do. It's a whole thing, and it's like I've had to learn all of this on the fly. I didn't know how to do news interviews. I didn't know how to be able to tell this story like I'm telling it now without breaking down. You know, I didn't know how to do any of these things. So when it's all said and done, I want to make a, a nonprofit, and, you know, with any luck, I'm going to team up with uh, Sarah Turney and... Um, and Kimba Biggs, mm -hmm. and it'll be like a joint effort thing, and or it'll maybe just be my solo mission, I'm not sure. But I want to help other people figure out how to do what we're doing. You know, us right. three sisters out here, we're beasting, and we're, we're doing our thing, you know, but you don't just know how to do it, you know. So that's, I want to help other people, and I'm working on a Brandy's Law, so that this isn't something somebody else has to go through. Um, you know, I don't want to just end it with Brandy, but I am really looking forward to having my own life back. You mentioned those two other uh, sisters, women. Uh, of course, they've already been on the program. And in fact, uh, one of them in particular was on my mind that I, I was going to ask you uh, about um, her because when she was on a Kimber Biggs, uh, she was on to talk about her sister, Mikhail Biggs, who disappeared a few years after Brandy disappeared. But during that interview, she and I talked about how, you know, she was a little girl when her sister disappeared. And then at some point, she becomes a grown woman. And then now she is now taken over for her parents, you know, leading the charge to figure out, you know, what happened to Mikhail, you know, who abducted her. We're going to guess murder her, but we don't know that for sure. But for you, when did you find you taking over that role? I know what you said, that at the time that your mother was too overwhelmed to do anything, you know, when did you feel that it was time for you to, to try to start, you know, publicizing this and trying to figure out, you know, what happened to your sister? The moment I got the call. In 2015, 2015, okay. You have to imagine for 23 years when you absolutely nothing. So at this point in your life, you're just really trying to move on with life. Not like you're trying to move on, but there's nothing. There's no leads. There's no, there's nothing. So, you know, and I didn't know any of the things I know now. So I didn't understand that it was even something I needed to keep relevant in the news, to keep pressure into mm -hmm. Like, for instance, you know, Mikkel Biggs' story. Her family kept it relevant. Yeah. And so then by the time Kimber came involved, there was already a presence of people who who were current in knowing who Mikkel Biggs was. So, mm. you know, so Mia, like I started at the beginning and at the very bottom trying to drum this all up. And while people did remember 
And after all my work, like, you know, people, oh, I remember that and whatever, but nobody was currently talking about it. And then I went to a Missing in Arizona event, and I met Kimber Biggs. And then, like, you know, then she kind of peeped me to her Facebook page and for Mikkel. And then I started to realize, okay, that's what I need to do. And then I started to do that. And I've I've learned so much from Kimber and Sarah, you know. So I, mm. I call those two my, my sisters in arms, you know. And I, I would le- legit ride into battle with either one of them. Because they're they're my soul sisters, you know. We're mm-hmm. all three of us are younger sisters, and we're all three running justice campaigns for our, our big sister. Yes, you are. So there's, Absolutely. There's, there's no other two people in the world that I can just say that I know personally who know how I feel, you know, and also can understand and comprehend the loss, you know, associated to this. Because honestly, if you've never been through it. You really mm. just don't know. That's true. That's true. Would you say, being that, once again, 2015, you don't hear anything about anything for all these years, and then in 2015, you hear about Brian Miller, uh, is it a relief to now know his name or anything, or is it now maybe even a little worse, being that you know, at least logically, that he did do something to Brandy, but on the other hand, it can't be proven. Has this been a relief for you to hear, find out about him, or has it not been? Or is it bittersweet or what? Relief. It mm. is bittersweet, but it is a relief. Um, mm-hmm. I think every missing person's family will say it's the not knowing that's the worst. It could be anything. It could be, you know, it's not knowing. Mm-hmm. But I can also tell you, Ed, that, like, I knew instantly when Brandy passed. Like, I felt it. I felt her leave this earth. And I also knew instantly that it wasn't bad. It was horrible. So all of my life, I've known that I had that feeling, and I knew that she was gone, and I knew it was horrible. I just didn't know what Mm. had happened. So then I finally find out, and it confirms why I felt that way, and... And, and that everything is making sense now, and I finally have the answers that I truly thought I would live my entire life and never get. You know, mm. I really believe I finally just made peace that I would live my life and die and never know what happened to her. Mm-hmm. And then I get the call. So, yeah. And from the moment I found out what happened to Brandy, all I wanted to do was fight. You know, that mm. was my sister, and that was the phone call I would make today when I didn't know what to do or, you know, when I just got engaged, I'd certainly be calling my big sister or anytime I needed a babysitter on Saturday night so I can go on a date with my hot new fiance, I'm calling big sister and she's taking the kids. Like my entire life has been shaped and drastically affected by this and my family isn't the same and my family is broken and I can't even be mad because I know why. You know, like yeah. can't, not everybody has the capability to deal with something like this and recover. Do you believe that, uh, you know, once again, my perception, you, uh, I'm never going to be probably an expert on your sister's disappearance, but you surely have become one. But the what you now understand about, uh, about Brian Miller and, and all these other girls and Brandy uh, is it your belief that he has killed other women and or girls that haven't been found yet? 
I'm sure. You know, I'm sure. Because the way I because I, the way I look at it, it seems like we have this cluster of girls around 1992 with Brandy and these other girls who were who were found, and then I guess we have this long lapse where nothing is pinned on Brian. At least no murders. Maybe he did um, assault some women or something like that, but no murders that we know of. And then you're bringing up this case from 2013. I mean, do we really believe that he didn't murder any girls or women for 21 years? Yeah, I'm sure that he did, you know, and uh, obviously he didn't get caught. But I know that he probably also was like, hey, I probably need to lay low for a minute because I'm causing mm. too much of a of a, a stink for myself, you know. And mm. then he attacked that woman in Washington. Right. And he ended up, you know, doing, he did some time behind that and eventually was acquitted you know, and he claimed self-defense, and, you know, mm. so he wasn't like, like, maybe if he had gotten away with it, or he could have got, or the girl didn't get away, right. he probably would have killed her. Yeah. But she did get away, and then she told on him, and then he got arrested. So it's like, he's sure, I'm sure he's killed other girls, you know what I mean? Mm. And I'm not sure, you know, who, and I'm mm. sure they're looking at him, they're looking at him everywhere that he's been. Mm-hmm. They're definitely looking at him in Washington, but they know they know what he's done here, and they know mm-hmm. the things he's done there. Okay. You know, so. All right. So there might be he's on trial for these girls right now. It very well may be that some other state gets a shot at him somewhere down the road too. Very possible. Very possible. Oh, definitely, because I believe there's still the the case from Everett is is ongoing. So. That's that's something, and you know, I mean, there's still little things popping out here and there. So, God knows what carnage this man has left in his yeah. wake. <clears throat> right, right. You've talked about all of the publicity that you've been doing, uh, especially since this trial is starting for Brian Miller. Why don't you tell the people where they can find more about find more out about Brandy and you and what you've been doing. Maybe you want to start with Facebook and just go from there. Um, yeah, I am on Facebook under Justice for Brandy Myers. I am also on YouTube under the same name, Justice for Brandy Myers. And I have two um, Twitter accounts, Justice for Brandy Myers. Um, my Twitter um, account is under at Kristen Thalen 3, but it's still under Justice for Brandy Myers. Okay. Um, and then I've also got an Instagram. I'm not really sure. I'm trying to work that. Okay. It's still a lot for me to try to figure out. Uh-huh. So um, I don't want to drop that handle yet because I'm not sure if I have it under Brandy's name or mine. Okay. All right. So you're on Facebook. You're on YouTube. You're on Twitter. Um, and then all the other things, of course, you're doing. I'm going to guess that... Uh, do you see any opportunities for local media now that this trial is going on, uh, local TV, you know, reaching out to you, you know, during this time? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and I've been contacted by Dr. Phil I'm waiting to hear back from and Nancy Grace, and I'm waiting on that. And, you know, it's it's a mm. snowball effect. For okay. each one interview comes another connection, and I get that much further out. Very good. Any last words before we complete this interview, Kristen? No, I I really appreciate you working with me. I've been wanting to do your show for some time. 
and I just yeah. did my time and waited. <laughs> yes, we were like uh, two ships passing in the night uh, there yeah. for a while. Um, I, I think I have to admit that even at least one time I know I was supposed to call you, and somehow uh, that passed me by and I forgot or something happened, and that, of course, was all my fault. But I'm certainly glad that we could uh, get together tonight on October 15th, 2019 uh, to do this interview. And I hope you will keep uh, everyone posted as what's going on in the trial. Of course, you're in the discussion group. Uh, you're f surely free to post anything in there of what you see at the trial and give everybody updates. You know, if you want to yeah, do that. I can do that. I have you uh, listed as one of my suggested um, podcasts on Brandy. Right. Thank you. So, um, Thank you. I, I can do that from her page. And I'm going to definitely be doing some Facebook Lives. Um, media isn't allowed in the courtroom, but that ain't going to keep me from doing it on my way in and my way out. And I'll be taking notes. And, right. um, yeah, I'm definitely going to start making a stink. You know, honestly, Ed, I just took a break for a couple of months, which mm -hmm. I beat myself up for every single day. But Honestly, I have a, a life out here. Just uh, you know, I, right, you just got engaged. Yeah, and I have a full-time toddler. And, yeah. you know, by the time my day is done, I'm I'm pretty spent. And, yeah. you know, and it's not that I don't have the desire to want to fight for Brainy, but it, it honestly takes everything I got. And, I, and when I stood up, like when I go out and I do this, I'm legit. Um I have like a pop-up awning, I have poster boards, and I have banners, and I have tons of clipboards and pens with my letter, and I bring a couple girlfriends with me, and I'm walking up and down the street at large events, and I'm talking to thousands of people and getting these signatures, and then eventually after I've collected what I seem to think is enough, and I take them and I drop them off to the prosecutor, and I say, look, this is my public pressure. Because it's hard for me to get more than 10 people in one room. But what I can do is set up somewhere where there's already hundreds of people and then try to talk to those people. And it really, it's, it's getting even easier for me now that I'm just used to telling a story. And now I can be like, I'm totally legit. You can Google me and people will Google me on the spot and be like, she's legit, sign her paper. And, you know, so it's just, mm -hmm. it's getting a lot easier, but it's also like sometimes I just needed a break. So I just took a break, but. And you're allowed to. You're and absolutely allowed to. Get your head back in the game, and, and I, need, I need to get the, the presence real big and make a big noise for this trial, because I'm thinking by the end of this year, I'm hoping the trial's over, and then that means it's Brandy's turn. So I got to. I got to turn the fire up here and make sure that they know I'm not backing down and I'm not going anywhere. And with mm -hmm. any luck and God willing, they're going to give us a chance. And then I hope they do. I hope they do. And I hope you will uh, keep us um, certainly posted on that. And I'm sure the listeners will be going to those places you've already mentioned to find out what's going on. I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I've got a lot of really great work on um, YouTube. Check that out, but follow me on Brandy's Facebook page. That's where I'm most active, and I do a lot of Facebook Lives there, and I, and I, I mostly just keep daily, you know, and that's my place where I meet with Brandy, so I'm there a lot, and as this trial and stuff is going, and when we do campaigning, I'm going to post a lot of videos and stuff like that there. Anybody who's in um, Phoenix or Arizona who might like to, like, come help me campaign or show up for 
any of these court hearings to just help me have somebody in my corner, then that would be much appreciated. And I have the dates on Brandy's page posted for the court hearings and I'll work a schedule for some campaigning. Um, I, I would welcome anybody's help and support. And if they wanted to do that, then they should reach out to me on Brandy's page and I can give them my personal number so they can connect with me um, at the time. Okay. I hope uh, people take you up on that. I certainly hope so. I, I do too. Yep, I get them here and there. <laughs> okay. So... Well, Kristen, I appreciate you uh, being on this episode of Unfound. I appreciate you having me, Ed. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Kristen Thalen, sister of Brandy Myers. I thank her for joining all of you and me on this episode. Kristen and I had scheduled to talk weeks, if not months ago, and things kind of fell through. My fault. But I'm so happy to have finally had her on the program. I thank her for having patience with me. Even the most doubting Thomas or Tammy is going to have a hard time disputing Kristen's beliefs regarding Brandy's disappearance. There's the location of where Brian lived at the time. There's his connection to at least two murdered girls in the general vicinity of Brandy's neighborhood. There's the alleged confession he made to his wife in the later 90s. Although I have to say, I don't like taking the word of ex-wives who stayed with their husbands even after they found out these men were monsters. Even so, there's enough circumstantial evidence to believe that Brian killed Brandy on May 26, 1992. The problem? Even if we are to believe he cut her up and put her in the trash, and even if Brian admits to it to the police, Kristen may be correct. How would someone ever go about finding Brandy in a dump site 27 years later? It's a good question. Although I have to say, I have a stronger belief than Kristen does that it could be done. But it might be a lot more time and money than Phoenix has. So I'm going to just take a minute to talk about the investigation at the time. As I kind of stated during the interview, I am unclear on why police seemingly didn't give Brian Miller another look in 1992. I'd be interested to know exactly what he said when the neighborhood was canvassed. Did he say Brandy had been at his house, or did he say he hadn't seen her? More to the point, given that Brian was surely the only 19-year-old single male living by himself on that street, did not some cop's Columbo intuition go off saying, something isn't right here? Because no matter what answer Brian gave to being asked about Brandy, Brandy disappeared within feet of Brian's house. Even if Brian said, oh yeah, I saw her get into a white car, that would have been enough for police to keep a closer eye on him. Then, there's the garbage. Neighbors allegedly smelled something rotten in the street around the time Brandy disappeared. But not one cop got suspicious about it, seemingly didn't ask Brian about it, and no one immediately went to the city dump to try to figure out why Brian's trash stunk so bad. I just don't get it. It's even worse considering that Brandy wasn't a 20-something-year-old prostitute addict. We know how much police blow off those kinds of disappearances. No, this was a 13-year-old girl who was just taking part in a school project. It's this kind of police work that lacks both intuition and attention to detail that allows predators to live right under our noses. 
I'll leave the rest of the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.